Hey everyone, you're listening to Leave Your Shoes By The Door, and today I'm with Ted Bidding. Ted? Is it Ted Bidding Jr. or just Ted Bidding? Uh, it, it's Junior, yeah. You want me to Ted Bidding Jr.? We're going it's to actually, distance? It's actually, if you want to get technical, it's Thomas Bidding Jr. Thomas Bidding Jr. I think how official that sounds. Very official. And it's been hell. <laughs> my name's Ted, or Teddy when I'm a kid. So, Ted is a nickname I took from my dad, who was nicknamed after my grandfather's really good friend. Let me ask you something. What is it like to grow up a junior? It's such a unique yeah. so, lifestyle. What's yeah. that like, being, literally being named after somebody else? Uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it, I guess. At this moment in my time, it's great because I, I feel like I have something great to carry on. My, right. my father's not with us anymore. But uh, growing, so growing up as a kid, I was always Ted E. And my dad was Ted. To separate your, yeah, yeah. sure. And then we get to the um, years later uh, 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 in high school, my dad gets into IndyCar racing, and that becomes that's a little bit of a fraternity. All those guys call him Teddy, mm-hmm. and then I come and we start working in racing, and I'm Ted. So it actually reversed. <laughs> he became sure. Teddy yeah. to all the guys the, that fraternity, and I was little Ted, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For a while, and then then it just depends who you are, and hey, you know, some people call me Teddy, some call me Ted. Uh, the people that if you, if you, no one ever says Thomas, I know that they don't know me. Or they're your mom and they're mad at you. Yeah. Correct. Like Thomas Bitty no, Jr.? A, that's more of a stern Teddy. Oh, okay. And, okay. Then, uh, and then the sound of a wooden spoon. That still happens. <laughs> sure. yeah. Yeah. I've had that one. Yeah. 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 Uh, my mom could have played uh, the lead snare guitar or snare drum in a marching band. Is that right? She can hit that. That like talented? A, that she can move that her hands so fast yeah. with a paddle like thing. Uh, she had plenty of practice. Three boys, three boys in the house. And I'm the middle child. And, the, and we're victimized, as you know. Sure. Little children are victimized. Sure. And so I got that a few times. Yeah. So you said that your dad was involved with IndyCar. And, you know, being Central Indiana and being me, um, so many, so many celebrities and figures and people you'd want to meet. But it was so common nature for you. Yeah. So my question to you is, when is a time that you have been genuinely starstruck? A time where you saw somebody that maybe you're used to seeing that face on TV or in the uh, newspaper, and you're just, oh my gosh, that guy yeah, or gal yeah. is sitting right there. Well, there's only, uh, and it's because of IndyCar racing, there's only been a few in my life, because you're just around people, right? And yeah. I, and, I, my, and you see him my, eating a sandwich, and you see him. Yeah, it, it, it's my, just right. Yeah. My parents were so grounded, uh, just Midwestern people, that we nobody really got blown up onto a pedestal like that. So I, you know, it's in me, but. So this is, we talked a little bit about this a little bit ago, but in IndyCar racing in the early 90s, they had Indy Lights cars. Mm -hmm. And Indy Lights cars, uh, were you know, they had a good field at one time, 10 or 15, 20 cars. And Vince Neal, the singer for Motley Crue. Of course. He raced Indy Lights cars. And so we're at the Milwaukee uh, Fairgrounds, which is the Milwaukee race. And uh, And can we, I just want to make sure, all the listeners, Motley Crue... Do they know who Molly Crew is? I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to make sure we're all on the same page because people need to know who Vince Neil is. He's yeah. the lead singer of Motley Crue, which may be the definition of debauchery in 80s oh, hair yeah. metal, yeah. right? Oh, okay. absolutely. So now he wants to race yeah. cars. And they would know, <laughs> man, if people have to Google that. I don't know. But they do. That's okay. Yeah. It's fine. Kickstart my heart. Dr. Feel Good. Yeah. Hot for Uh, Teacher. Home Sweet Home would be one people remember because it's a piano. Yeah. Yeah. So Vince Neal was a, uh, because he had money, he was an IndyCar, Indy Lights driver. Yeah. And that, 
Rich people get to have really fun. Yeah, they hobbies. can. They have. Yeah, like uh, Paul Newman. I remember being at a racetrack with yep. my dad with Paul Newman. Yep. He's telling us stories about, uh, you, you know, movies he made. And all but it, the reality is, I was never starstruck until, really, one of the first times was we're at the racetrack in Milwaukee, and uh, it's I don't remember what year it was. It's the year the Andrettis finished one, two, three. And my wow. dad's my dad's driver was was John Andretti, so. It was a great day. Yeah. But the day before qualifying and Indy Lights race and, and qualifying all that stuff, we're just standing there and I look over and there's Vince Neal. Like the the this was my first concert we talked about. My very first rock concert my cousin took me to was Poison opened up for Motley Crue. Incredible. Lots of hairspray, lots of spandex, you know, and loud music. Pyro. And, oh, it was terrible. Oh yeah, no. Like it was hot. No matter where you were in the stands, you felt like you were being burned by fireworks. Awesome. One of the greatest, yeah, it was, yeah. It, was under, it was unbelievable. But he's standing there, and the reason why I looked over was his trailer was blaring like Megadeth type music. Sure. Decent music, and there's guys on top of the trailer watching the IndyCar practice, and they're throwing beer cans into a big trash can, <laughs> and they're having a contest. And I look over, I'm like, what are those guys doing? And I realized, holy crap, that's Vince Neil. Yeah. And I was kind of like, that's Vince Neil. So we kind of stalked him a little bit. For a little while, and I realized he's just kind of a short, fat guy. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> he's just a guy. Uh, the, the other time, and, and, and I mentioned it once, but uh, my wife was uh, eight months ish pregnant with our son, and we raced, we used to race at uh, Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. They have a racetrack, right? A little mile oval. It's a wonderful racetrack. And uh, there's Dan Marino was the guy who I idolized growing up. Oh, sure. Being a normal sports quarterback kid. for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and yep. playing flag football. Right. I was. Sure. I was just in my mind. I was number thirteen, and uh, and then playing, uh, showing up. We moved from Iowa to Arizona, and the first day of practice, the co football coach says, "Well, what position do you play?" And I thought, I just kind of want to try something else. And my dad said, "Oh, he's the quarterback." So I'm stuck playing quarterback, but I loved it because Dan Marino was my idol. Yeah. And so we went at Orlando, we were racing, and Dan Marino had a restaurant there, right? Yeah. And so my wife's eight months pregnant, and I make her go to this restaurant just because of Dan Marino's. And lo and behold, he's in there, he's, he's having dinner. And uh, I turned into like a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl in the 60s when the Beatles came to town. Sure. I was uncontrolled. Like, I couldn't even control it. It was so stupid. What, Surreal. How I was acting. Surreal. Yeah. yeah, because I'd blown this guy up. Right, and he was. I watched him every week if I could. Right, I stayed up in the eight, 1985 and watched him beat the Bears on Monday night as a fifth grader. Right, and, sure. I mean, and my, that was a big deal. Me and my dad sitting there watching that. Well, he's just sitting there eating, literally eating a steak, and he's got like ten other looks like football guys around. He's buying dinner for. Sure. And so there's a right across from him. There's a booth, a real nice padded booth, and then on the other side of that booth is a hard chair. Well, the booth is where you get to watch Dan Marino eat. <laughs> yeah. So my eight-month mo eight pregnant wife sat in a hard stool, and I didn't even care. I, I could, you know what? I don't care. You were, you were serving a higher purpose. Yeah. You had to get close to yeah. Dan Marino. Yeah, and it was about me yeah. at that moment, not yeah. how she felt. <laughs> sure. She's probably making a lung, right? And I'm just sitting there staring at a guy. She's developing a lung in a person inside of her. Sure. But that one guy was really good at football. He was and good. That's important. Yeah, and he yeah. could throw it. Sure, sure. And that's all he has to show for it now, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. No other jewelry, no yeah. rings to go with it. Yeah. But I did. I witnessed him as a as a a, a little girl watching the Beatles, basically for yeah. a few moments. I witnessed him be great with people. Kids would come up to him. He'd put them on on his lap and stop eating mid bite, stop eating, and just service their thoughts and needs. Yeah. And uh, it 
I don't know what he's really like, but in my mind that helped me just make it a great experience that it wasn't a letdown. Like you hear so many people find someone that they idolized in person and they're just a jerk. Yeah. And so it was great. He, he got up. This is the, the weird part of the story I probably shouldn't tell. He, he got up and started walking down the hallway. And so I, I mid-bite, I told my wife, I said, Missy, I said, look, I'm going to go see. You tell me how tall I am next to him. Like, how do I stand up next to Dan Marino? That's Dan Marino. I get up and I start walking. And I'm just following him. I'm trying to get next to him. It's, this, is all, this is all. I'm an awkward enabler. I've realized that. Sure. I just provide awkwardness wherever I go. Yeah. And so... We get to the end, and I'm thinking, oh, is she watching? She probably doesn't care. She's probably in pain. I'm making her sit on a wooden stool. <laughs> yeah, she's over it. Yeah. She's ready to so he takes a left, and I realize there's nowhere else for me to go because I'm, I'm just, what's the purpose of me walking right now? So I take a left, and he ends up in the restroom. So I end up in the restroom next to Dan Marino, the urinals. You know, we're, and we're just talking. And he was real good. He's, I mean, how awkward is this? Yeah, it's washing our hands. Yeah. I know, I, and, I, and I got through it, uh, and I have the story. But he's, he really, he had a great conversation. just asked me, what, was I local? What, what was I in town for? I told him about the race. And, and he's like, I'm going to be at the Indy 500 this year, and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, man, how cool is this, yeah. right? The rest, of, I don't really, you know, you don't get starstruck in life. You have moments. You have kids? I do. Yeah, I got a so four-year-old. When, they, when, they, when those kids are born, it's the same, if not better. It is better. It's a moment of, of starstruckness. Yeah. like. That's what you look like. You know what I mean? It's yeah. so impactful. On you, you can just go back to those moments. It doesn't have to be a tragic moment for you to remember what it smelled like in the room, or what it, what it, what you felt like, or the temperature, or what other people were there. Yeah. And um, and so being starstruck by people, I think being around so many people in IndyCar racing. My wife ran a preschool slash daycare. We, well, I got her to the track and set everything up, and she did it right. And then I would go do pit stops with my dad's team, or I'd do tires at Goodyear Tires or something. Um, this is kind of mostly pre-real estate. And so, you know, she's around Jim Caviezel, the guy who played Jesus. Oh, yeah, and, I know Jim Caviezel. I mean, I'm sure. having lunch next to him one day in the mm-hmm. tent. And, mm-hmm. and he's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. But they're just people. Gene Simmons, the, you know, I mean, how crazy is Gene Simmons from Kiss? Okay. The guy with the tongue. Like, think about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no he, that's... he's horrible musician. I mean, in reality. Oh, yeah, I don't, like, think, I don't like Gene Simmons. No. Yeah. But. Uh, but it would still be cool to see him in London, like, really. this guy's kind of crazy weird. Yeah. You know? and, and you just get around people, you know, uh, just you just get to meet and be you know shoulder to shoulder with people who have had extreme success in what society says is a success yeah you're right um, and some of them have done great things there's there's a lot of quiet people out there that have impacted a lot of people yeah right and so um, when you get to a fun event like the Indianapolis 500 or just whatever uh, something like that you just those attract people yeah and people that have opportunity to be there in certain situations, you get to be around sometimes, and then you realize, well, hell, they're just a person. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes they're lucky, and sometimes they just outworked everybody. Yeah. And sometimes it's a combination of all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's really good when they're good people. And it, it's interesting because I'm sure all Dan Marino wanted to do was eat his steak and then go to the bathroom and then go yeah. finish his steak. Yeah. But he probably had that presence of mind mm-hmm. knowing that he had a big impact on you. Yeah. And that this is the right thing to do is to be nice and cordial to this guy because yeah. he'll carry that for a long time. Right? Yeah, I think you're full of crap. I think he was, <laughs> I think he was in Orlando because he knew I was there. Oh, is that right? And he was Get close waiting. To Ted. Yeah, he was waiting yeah. for me. I think it's weird, but he was waiting for me to actually go to the restroom. Yeah, 
to 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 actually have a conversation with that's, me. That's with a me. healthy way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and and since then, I hope he thought I was a good person. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. No, it it is it is uh, it's probably not a and you can witness it around some people. You can witness it in in uh, real estate with a lender, for instance, a lender who's at a, a let's say Henry's County MyBoard event. They they have to be themselves, but they have to be on. Yeah. Because they they want to create relationships and they want to be an attraction. Same with the real estate agent who's at an open house, and and so those people who are the the Dan Marinos of the world, uh, to be at his restaurant, he has he that's an on moment for him. He's on stage probably. Yeah. And he might have went home and did what many of us do after open house and be like, oh my god, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm tired of being on. Yeah, totally. But thank goodness for my memory. Yeah. He wasn't a letdown. Yeah. He fulfilled every moment of me throwing a nasty old football in my backyard in Altoona, Iowa. Mm-hmm. In that mo- he just solidified it. Yeah. That was that was okay for me to spend my time doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah. So we've talked about uh, Andy Carr, we've talked about Motley Crue, we've talked about professional football. So let's take a natural pivot into real estate in central sense. Indiana. Yeah. Okay? I think yeah. they're all in the same mm-hmm. echelon, but uh, so part of my uh, deep, intense research was scrolling your Facebook feed. Yeah, that's good. And I saw... <laughs> that's, that's sketchy. So for a second, think about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I saw that you went uh, skiing with your family. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Good for Ted. Good for his family. But what made me think of is how long have you been in the, in the biz? How long have you been so in this industry? So mine's an easy uh, rem- memory. I'm um, September 11th. <sighs> yeah. The September 11th. The one? The September 11th. was a Tuesday. And Tuesday is when we hold our sales meetings at Carpenter Realtors. And so on that Tuesday, I was in Brownsburg office showing up for my first Brownsburg office sales meeting. You're kidding me. Mm-hmm. You're kidding Susan me. Susan Blamford, uh, she's retired now. She is uh, she's uh, the one of the most wonderful people in the world and then throw in one of the best people in real estate. Right? Sure. Okay. She handled that meeting so well. Remember that day? It was crazy. It was crazy. And so I'll never forget. So that whatever that is, if you do the math, I used to be a math teacher. How about that? So the math would be, I'm on my 20th year, right? So this would be the 20th, whatever. Two decades, man. Yeah, and so um, and that's a there's a lot of exposure there. So yeah. I started somewhat part time because we still went to races. I went to 18 races a year, um, and being introduced to real estate was through an engineer's wife. She said, "Well, I work in real estate. I make." I make $40,000 a year and I hardly work. Uh, no, she said, and I have flexible hours. Did a li- little did I know, flexible meant every hour. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's not flexible. Technically, you... Yeah, if you want to be successful, it's not flex too flexible. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is. Imagine being on call all the time. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. The, it, it was... It, coming into the business that way forced me to have to do uh, things that helped me sustain my career. Sure. Meaning work with listings. Sure. More than buyers, as much fun as buyers were back in the day before our current market. Uh, I had to work listings because I would be at a racetrack in the media center uh, with, waiting for a fax to come through with a signature on a listing contract. Sure. And I could sell homes with a listing, but I couldn't show homes. Mm-hmm. And so we did uh, real estate. I, would, I, would, I was full-time, quite frankly, but if you gauge hours, but part-time because I was in racing too. Um, Probably until my girls. My girls were born in 2007. They were. Tw- they're tw- I have twin girls. They're 14 now. My son. Um, you know, it was easier with him. He's 21 now. He was born in 2000. So 
the whole goal was find a career. I didn't want to go back to teaching because it was too restrictive for racing schedule. Find a career, find something to do in the off season of racing. And it turned out great because I could do that, mm -hmm. right? And, and the business I couldn't handle when I was gone, I was confident enough as a person and I did, and my ego was small enough as a person, I could refer those people out. Yeah, right, right? yeah. And that, that's, if people are making a transition in this business, it is best to do with two feet. Yeah, oh yeah, But that's sure. really hard to do, yeah. especially in this market. So um, it's just easier to do if you don't have an ego. And this business is, that's the problem with the world probably, but the business, we do struggle with, with, with our egos. Yeah. And so just letting go of that and, and, and moving in. So that's, you know, 2001, two, three, four. Yeah. Work with a lot of racing families because I knew their needs and um, and I loved it. You yeah. Know, I just, oh, yeah. I, I loved taking a transient type person who was in his late 20s, never owned anything because he was from track to track to track. A nomad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and get them to understand the idea of just some home ownership. And they buy a house and five, six, seven, eight years later, they come and say, hey, I'm going to move. I'm getting out of racing or I'm going to move to this team, to Penske's team, whatever, North Carolina, wherever it was. And uh, they get money from selling a house. Yeah. Versus they just turn in their rent. And just burn money. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. It, that was that's that is that was rewarding. Yeah. Um, and, and just being around the right people and and you know we, we spend a lot of time in the industry training. And um, that if you engage in that, it pays off because being somewhat part time at the beginning, if you weren't, it changes it changes so fast. This business that if you're not on top of developing yourself, you're going to show back up. Like I could come home from a race and I'd be out of the loop if I wasn't paying attention. And so that's that is kind of the benefit of this uh, this stupid last year I call it. Yeah. Is Zoom and you know this forcing mobility on us. Yeah. Because we can. There's no excuse to stop developing yeah. yourself as a person uh, and then as a realtor. Yeah. And so. So I don't know. That was a long answer for. Well, I so, could have said September eleventh, two thousand one. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back though, to you skiing. Okay. So my question though is, you've been in it for twenty years. Yeah. And you talk about flexible hours and all the, all those things yeah. you just kind of described as being a, a realtor and, and mm -hmm. needing to be a realtor to put food on the table, that kind of scenario. Yeah. When is it okay to take a vacation? Well, you're twenty years in. Obviously, you've you've yeah. cut out a time for vacation. But when is it? If you were if you were speaking to your peers or someone who's starting today, yeah. when is it okay? When is when have you finally hit that moment where you can take a vacation, turn off your phone and take right. a vacation? Right, and so well, there's the key. So what is a vacation? Uh, I can go. I can I can do listing business, and I could be in Colorado right now. I just have to do the right things, or I could do the right things right now today. It only takes an hour and a half, two hours a day to really prospect and lead generate and service the people that you're working with uh, and then go on vacation and shut down and yeah. be okay with saying, hey, uh, all, to all my clients, I'm going to be gone. And the beauty of working in a place where you love to work, yeah. wherever that is, is you have people who support you because you support them. Mm -hmm. And so you can leave and say, hey, I have these three listings, these five buyers, this is the scenario. Everything's in, in here, you know, whatever tools or systems you're using, and you actually check out. Yeah. It's, it's really hard for a real estate agent to do that because you feel disconnected, and, and we're on an adrenaline rush a lot because our phones are like a, a umbilical cord to the business. Right. And so it was, uh, we hadn't gone on a real good vacation 
we very rarely have been on a vacation where I've actually shut my phone off. Right. And you'll hear real estate agents or, or realtors say, I want to go on a cruise, and there's a reason. You have no choice. Their phone yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, sure. We went to Gatlinburg, wherever that is, down in Nashville one time, and I, I just remember being tired in the business, which happened. We get fatigued a lot. But I just remember calling around to certain cabins for rent, and the lady said, I just remember, over the phone, she said, now I just want to let you know, sir, there is no cell service at this cabin. And I said, I don't care what it costs. This is the cabin I'll for take us. It. Yeah. And it was horrible. It was up in some scary hill. But that's it, it force-fed myself to stop. It's okay if you treat it like a job and you lead generate and you set and you block your time, right? Uh, you don't just show up and let the business run you ragged. Right. And, and uh, you know, some people call that accidental business what comes to you. If you're purposeful and you, and you lead generate or if you're being coached by somebody, they're holding you accountable to do that, then you can go on vacation every week. You can go on vacation every day. It's called six o'clock on. And then you wake up the next day. We have a lot of agents who leave on their voicemail, hey, if it's after business hours, I'll call you the next business day. Sure. Some agents get acid reflux by just saying those words. Yeah. But when you do call them after business hours, it's a real short phone call. And they appreciate it even more so than, than expecting you to do it. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, there's some real successful agents that can do that. It's just really in our own mind. It's just I I'm I'm, and I'm I'm not disagreeing with you because obviously you know what you're talking. You've been in 20 years. Your your success speaks for yourself. But it just I, I'm just trying to think of maybe that mindset works for Ted and you've been able to kind of yeah. control your mm-hmm. mindset. But it just like I was speaking to a realtor a few weeks ago and he said when you take 17 days off in this industry you miss 14 days worth of business because yeah. the industry just moves at such a yeah. breakneck speed. And so I guess. If, if it was brand new, and, and I, it's just one of those things where, and I know, and I've said it before on this, on this show, whatever you want to call it, that I'm not, me personally, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the mindset to be a realtor like you guys, and you guys are risk takers and small business owners and all those things, but it just seems you would have a guilt. You would have a guilt yeah, and so about the, so stepping So if I was going to slap you around a little bit right now, like, <laughs> when's enough enough, damn it? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And you've got to show mercy on yourself. of thousands of dollars does a person have to make right. to realize that it's just, you're, you're losing the experience of life? You're right, you're right. And so you need to work hard enough doing the right things purposefully so that you provide not just the money to live your life, you know, cover your nut, whatever that's called. Sure. And then the other experiences. Yeah. And then because you leave, 17 days you leave, let's say you lose 2 or $3 million in volume worth of business. That was the expense. Or, no, come back and get that another 2 or $3 million. It's still going to be there. Yeah, you're right. We're going to do 90,000 sides of business in my board. And back in the day, we did 48,560 sides, the hard days, yeah. where 35% of it was uh, REO, or not REO, it was bank-owned, yeah, REO business, bank-owned, short sales. There was still enough, right? There's still enough. Yeah. Uh, if 90,000 sides, if you break the math down, that's a lot per day, right? Yeah. That's probably 270 a day, somewhere in there. I sound like Rain Man. I don't know what the hell the number is, but no one's going to do the math, so they won't know. But can I get one of those when I come back from vacation? If I'm doing the right things, and I, quite frankly, if I treat people the right way, and I let tools and systems work for me, and, and, and ultimately, you're never going to make it if you don't have any optimism. Yeah. You just, and I'm crazy weird that way, and there's a lot of pessimistic people 
in my life, you know, not, not all in real estate, but I use this analogy, people, you know, the half glass, the glass is half full, mm-hmm. the glass is half empty. It's how you, you know, look at it. No, my glass is half full and here comes the waiter. And he's got a pitcher, but it's not a pitcher of water. It's a pitcher of that crushed ice that you love from the gas station. And he's going to pour so much ice into there that the water's going to come out over the top of the cup. And if you don't have that mindset, then you're going to go on vacation. You're going to think, I'm losing this deal. Right. And so be it. If John Smith was your buyer that bought a house in 2009, and they're going to sell that house while you're on vacation, and you didn't answer your phone, then so be it. Because you weren't going to provide the best service that John thought was going to be the best service. Yeah. There's another John. And I know that sounds real petty and almost like they're just numbers. It, they're not numbers because when you treat them like people, John will never sway from you. He'll appreciate your vacation. Right. And if he doesn't, I sure as hell don't want to work with him when I come back. Right. And so it's, it is optimism driven by purposeful work. Yeah. I think that's how every real estate agent, I mean, look around our city. Some of the, in some of our towns out in the outskirts of the city, the m- most... The highest paid people are real estate agents. And you have doctors, and you have lawyers, you have people that spent years in school, and and then we're worried on top of that about, oh my God, I'm gonna miss this deal and that deal. When's enough enough? Yeah. When is enough enough? Yeah. So you you seem to have achieved some sort of mental nirvana with this maybe, industry. Maybe I'm on drugs right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I and you seem to have it figured out. You seem to be com- confident in the way that you see things and, and separating a job is a job, and family and life is something else, and this is, you know, there's, uh, yeah, when is enough enough is such a great way of saying it. Have you always been that way? No, and, and not everyone is, and, and I'm not like that all the time. Can you, can you start with your mindset and be successful? Yeah, you can yeah. do that in anything. I, I, you really can do that with anything. I believe that, but I can tell you that it is a, real estate is a lifestyle. The people who sell the most real estate are living real estate. Yeah. Um, Dave Cavanis, our president owner, wakes works every day of the week, right? He's living real estate. Yeah. And he has to. That's that's his responsibility, all right? And he feels that he's prepared that way. Um, in Brownsburg, we have really big agents that sell a lot of real estate. It's, some of it, it's a lifestyle for them. For me, I if if you're, you're working off volume instead of units, because it's easier now because the average sale price is so dang high, if you sell $5 million and you make X amount of dollars because of, of whatever your net is as an agent, what does $7 million do, right? And so the cost of doing the extra $2 million versus what I can go skiing with my family and I lost a million, right, is that experience with my family and going to skiing, if I can still afford that, uh, isn't that worth that? I don't know. And it is, it, and I wake, I wake up in the middle of the night, sweaty and Nervous, the market makes you nervous. The, I mean, you know, people, musical chairs in this business drives me, I mean, it makes me want to go back to teach middle school. Sure. The people who don't have any loyalty or appreciation, even if they're coming to us or away from us, I just, they're just looking in this business, we have so many people looking for greener grass. And it's because they're not looking within and they're not doing their own homework on their own mental state and they're not watering their grass where they are. Yeah, right. It, it, Water your grass where you are, and if it doesn't come up green and you don't like the taste of it, then move on. Yeah. And that goes with your own personal sales. If, if this year you did 10 units, and next year you want to do 20, right? Well, what do you have to do to water your grass to get to 20 where you are? And what about 20 
is going to bring you more satisfaction or fulfillment yeah, in life. Like, right. Why is that your goal? Mm -hmm. Is it just because you're just adding numbers or right. have you... Real successful people in life are obsessed. We don't see the obsession and what it does behind doors. Yeah. We don't see the nights they... We just see them getting on their Learjet. We see them driving their Mercedes. We see them, whatever, going to every sporting event you'd see. Or you don't see, that, like we talked about music earlier, you don't see Chris Stapleton grinding out a song, crying, because his dad passed away driving down the road. Wow. He comes up with the song Traveler, that yeah. we all love. Yeah. You just think, man, I wish I was Chris Stapleton and I could sing that song for everybody. That'd be everybody. cool. Yeah. yeah. But he paid a price for that. And so I've certainly paid a... I mean, there's a lot of agony that goes into a 20-year real estate career. Yeah. Quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, ups and downs. And if you get a pessimist mindset every day, you're starting... You're just starting behind the starting line, if that makes sense. Yeah. And if you can just get your mind to, if I do all the right good things for people and I'm impactful to just the agents around me, the vendors around me, and most importantly, the clients around me, it's going to happen. I just can't sit at home not doing anything. And let me let me interrupt you for a second. Cause you're going to have to interrupt I, me. Well, it's just you're, you're, you're touching on a really, you're touching on something that's really speaking to me, just not just professionally, but just in life is, is you, you keep talking about impact, right? Mm -hmm. And impact or, or legacy, whatever you want to think of it as. And when you're talking about the anecdote with uh, Dan Marino and how he was friendly to you and you kind of watched him and, and just absorbed everything and, and that had a big impact on you and how important that is. And now you're talking about in your professional life. <clears throat> so I guess is you are very conscious of impact. You're very conscious mm -hmm. and you trust the process of mm -hmm. impact. Mm -hmm. If I have a good impact on Ted, my client, I can go skiing yeah. and Ted's going to wait for me to come home before we work because I made yeah. such a positive impact on him. What, why do you have so much faith in that? That people, that, why do you have so much faith in good yeah. relationships? So part of that is I, uh, you are going to have to be okay with getting your heart broken because you will come back from skiing and they will have listed their home with somebody. Yeah. And that's a punch to the gut. And we all, but what you have to realize is I just need to find the next person. We're not married. Right. Uh, and don't make it personal. Right. right? But, but when you find somebody who you can help and you can, you can actually, it's just the most wonderful thing in real estate to take uh, a, a client and help them navigate this horrific market that we're living through. Right? Uh, horrific is probably a strong word. <laughs> that sounds terrible because it's actually a really good market. It's sure. just hard. Yeah, it's tough. And you navigate the other real estate agent who might not have good training. You navigate a lender who doesn't answer their phone. You navigate an appraiser who, who's doing their job, right, but doesn't make you happy. Or an inspector who says the wrong thing. And they're not worried about it. Their experience is so good that they're going to give you a referral before you even get to closing. If you can just handle that and, and really really, quite frankly, treat them like they're your mom, then it, you're, you're always going to do the right thing. And so if that person doesn't like that, then shame on me for not ex, you know, exploiting the possibility of me helping them sure. in the ways that I think I can or an agent can. But they're going to move on. So I need to find somebody who will appreciate it. Now, I have an, I have a, when I do a personality test, I am, I'm probably psycho quite frankly, but I'm right in the middle. Like I'm, my dot is real close to the center. Yeah. And so I can, I can morph myself to a lot of different personalities, but I'm more amiable, which means I like people to like me sure. basically. Yeah. And so when you have that personality, you're, you kind of, 
you you attract people who will say the right things and appreciate you more, right? Right. And so, therefore, those people are more loyal. Amiable people are more loyal than others. And and then I have a driver side of my personality that allows me to just keep digging and finding the next person who will like me. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah. And uh, that sounds so stupid and petty, but the reality is the opportunity to please somebody through real estate means that you're going to do everything you can to remove the obstacle so that they can have what should be a great experience right. in their life. Right. They're only going to do this, you know, with the exception of a few, a few times in their life. Um, you don't want it to be a poor experience. Right. And so, so it is. It is a mindset, um, and it is. It's not that I'm a mother and we're sitting around like hippies in the park, and if you do the good, it'll come back to you. Right. But it is. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right? Those and, hippies and, were onto something. Right. And yeah, we're, sure. right now we're really focused on uh, listings in our, in our uh, world of real estate. And what you focus on expands. And so it's, and I've been using this analogy. When you go to buy a, a, a say you're going to buy a red F-150 and you buy it. And today's, what is today? Friday? You buy it today and you pick it up tonight and you love it. On the way home, how many red F-150s are you going to right, see? Right, of course. Every one. Yeah. And because what you focus on does expand. Yeah. And so if you just focus on the good and you focus on the people who will appreciate and work with you, then that's all you're going to find. This listing that, uh, focus that we have as a company, I don't even list as many homes. I'm not supposed to anyway in my role now. List as many homes, uh, if any. I should be getting our agents to list more homes. Sure. Right? But sure. because I've been focused on it so much, I have four listing opportunities. I'm not prospecting anymore. I'm just focused on it. Yeah. And that, that might sound like a hippie talk and all that stuff, but the reality is it is about gratitude and affirmations of, of where your mind is. I mean, if you're healthy and you're able to sell real estate, you have, you've paid for your license, you have the training, you know what to do, and you are healthy person where you can get up and work then shame on you if you can't get your mind to a place where there's somebody out there in this 90,000 sites somebody's going to need your help you need to help you need to go find it yeah. and the ways to find them isn't always comfortable yeah right and so so that's where success comes doing more of the uncomfortable things than the next person will do yeah and then it's just easy from there just be a human being treat people dang it treat it, treat it like they're like you want to be treated actually treat them when my dad, when my father was passing away, he was at home, he had cancer, and all these guys just would come. Every, I mean, we had a schedule because they wanted to spend time with him. And so one night we were sitting there, and he would get tired, fatigued from it. And I had uh, to be powerful. It was, yeah, it was amazing, be, right? And it was hard. Yeah, and so, I can only imagine. And I was the guy, I was kind of the guy in the family where I went to the appointments with him and my mom because he, the patient doesn't hear it. The patient's spouse doesn't want to hear it. So I would take notes and keep us on track for all this fun stuff. And so I was usually around, and, and I knew the stories that were going on. Him and I had great conversations through that. Like he just, just dead silence time, you know? And then we'd throw out some, we're real sarcastic, stupid joke people. Mm -hmm. But when people kept coming, we had just kind of a moment one night. I remember sitting there, and it was just quiet. And we were just like, well, who's going to come tomorrow type talk? And, and it just started slowing down, you know? Sure. We just wanted not as many. He didn't want as many people. He didn't want to say that. I said, Dad, why do you think... What's making people come here? And here's what he said. And I live by this, quite frankly. He said, um, it's simple. You just, I just treated people the way they, they treated me, and it only pissed off a few of them. 
Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah, right. And he just focused on the good. Yeah. And uh, and it's true. If you're just a, a jovial, fun person, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be you could be an attendant at a rest area. That's fine. Yeah. You're still a human. Yeah. You're still work. And it doesn't mean you're any less than the guy who's driving his Mercedes to use the restroom there. Right. Just be be impactful, right? Yeah. And, and it's I, we get caught up because um, this generation, my kids' generation, I just learned about Mr. Beast. He's the YouTube guy. Yeah. This dude makes millions of dollars with YouTube videos. I've never heard of him, Ted. I'm telling you, He's it's crazy. No, it's crazy. Wild. And he gives away cars. It's just a gimmick. But but that is that's what people think success is. Yeah, right. Is he's a YouTuber, right? Or uh, I'm LeBron James, or I'm Dan Marino, or whatever. Yeah. Or, or whatever. You know, I'm AJ Foy. No, those people are doing what they want to do, and there's people all around them that they're impacting that you don't hear about. It's just that we as a society focus on that. We do a horrible job in the real estate industry doing that. Like, this person sold $20 million. My real estate team sold $50 million. No. Like, how many people did you touch? Yeah, right. Impact? Yeah. And um, especially, and I think what's unique about our industry is these are your neighbors. Mm-hmm. These are people that you, you're going to cross paths with at the grocery. Your yeah. kid's playing the same soccer team. Yeah. You know, it's very... That provides a lot of guilt sometimes for sure, agents. Because sure. they have a subconscious sure. issue with making more money mm-hmm. uh, on, and they think that they're... Um, and that, that's a problem for them because if they're not providing enough service where they think they're of value, then they are making too much money, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they start thinking that. And so when you intermingle with, uh, it's always easier with people you don't know yeah. in the business because yeah. you can say no to them. Yeah. If they're jerks, right? You walk away. Yeah. But we have, uh, like Jamie Hall in, in Brownsburg, Jamie Hall is the number one agent in my board without a team. Nobody over this course of the last 10 years has sold more than her. And, and why? I see your name in people's yeah, front yards. Yeah, yeah. Out in Deer Meadows, and, and, I see Yeah, Jamie. right. Totally. Well, and, and why? It's because I, in the hallway one day, it's been a few years, she was at the copy machine and someone kind of questioned her, why did you take that listing? Meaning that listing was only like 80000 whatever it was. Like, Jamie, you are so busy. You're the number one. How could you take that listing? Like, why, why do you have time for that? And she had no idea what they were talking about. She probably wouldn't even remember the story. And... It wasn't until she started jogging her brain where she attached the client's name to what that other person was talking about that she remembered what the hell they were talking about. Sure. Because it's about the people. Yeah. And so if you have that mindset, you're going to be successful. Yeah. And the problem is, is we lose faith in people. Uh, And it's real easy to do. Just turn on the news and watch the first 20 minutes uh, of an hour-long news show, which is... There's only about two minutes of news in there, but it's mostly not good. Pain and suffering. Yeah, and it's that's what that's kind of where we're geared, and so it's just hard work, and the hard work provides more exposure to the pain and suffering, and so if you can work your way through that and just think positively, you're gonna find people who want and need your help, and then just water your grass, use the tools that you have agreed to use at your brokerage, before you. You think there's something easier or better, right? And uh, and that goes probably for every industry. So yeah, it's it's not a it's not that hard. It's not a nirvana. It's just a treat people the way they want to be treated. And quite frankly, it's only going to tick off a few of them. Right. And it, and if it takes them off, then they weren't. It wasn't meant to be. We're they weren't on. meant to be we're in your life. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break so that we can hear from the MyBoard updates. 
everyone, I am Jamie Barb and welcome to the MyBoard Update. Each year, MyBoard issues a membership satisfaction survey to gauge member opinion of the services and programs offered by MyBoard. The survey is administered through a local research firm who sends the survey by email and compiles the results. Please look for your survey to come via email April 15th. The survey will take approximately 10 to 12 minutes to complete and is optimized for tablets and smartphones and can be completed in multiple sittings. Please keep an eye on your email as we want to hear from you. If you haven't already registered for the virtual webinar, Bridge the Gap Now with Intentional Inclusion, sign up today so you don't miss out. This important educational content will be presented by renowned speaker, trainer, author, and realtor, Marky Lemons Ryle on Tuesday, April 13th from 2 to 3 p.m. This is one of several webinars we plan to host for members, which will be centered around understanding more about diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts and the steps we need to take as an industry and as individuals. Register today at MyBoard.com. Our next MPRO Bootcamp is taking place May 17th through 20th. The week sessions and courses are specifically created with an emphasis on professionalism and key industry knowledge to help participants become equipped for excellence. To learn more about the MyBoard Master Professional Certification, please visit mybor.com mpro. You can register at any time. Join us in April and May for a series of live interactive webinars focusing on HomeSnap. Explore HomeSnap Pro's beginner, advanced, and on-the-go functions to access data from Matrix to save you time, no matter where you are. Specifically, you'll learn how to search quickly to find and save BLC listings, find listing details by taking a photo of the house, share properties with clients, use heat maps and sell speed to find your next listing, create videos using HomeSnap Stories, and use the NetSheet calculator and more. Register now for these and more by visiting mywar.com slash tech trainings. The Realtor Foundation is hosting a free seminar presented by Chicago Title to help members of our real estate industry prepare for their future. During a health crisis, it reminds us of how important it is to have a plan in place. Join us for a thought-provoking discussion of the basics of financial planning and estate planning to discover what strategies are right for you and your loved ones. Learn how you can protect your future through a living will, power of attorney, healthcare proxy, will, and trust. Join us for the last session to understand how these issues impact your business and clients. Register for one or all sessions. Bring your questions. Sessions are 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. on April 15th, 19th, and 20th. Information can be found at www.realtorfoundation.org and on Facebook. This May, the Foundation is launching a virtual run, walk, bike race to get you moving. Join in the fun and get moving MyBoard to raise critical funds for the Realtor Foundation's mission of linking hope to homelessness. Sign up for a fitness challenge that best fits you. Plan a family fun one mile walk with your kids, run a 5K or 10K, or do a 10 mile bike ride. Virtual means you can complete your fitness challenge anytime, anywhere. Get moving around our great city while supporting our most vulnerable neighbors. Register at realtorfoundation.org race. That's all for today on your MyBoard Update. And now back to our interview with Ted Bidding Jr. All right, well, we got to talk before we, we hit record, and I'm excited about this next part. Oh, great. Uh, well, no, I want to hear the biography of Ted Thomas 
Thomas bidding pa- junior. Patrick bidding junior. Yeah. Patrick. Are we going to talk about my bodybuilding part? Because you no, can tell. That's a different podcast. Okay, yeah. Not today. All right. Um, no, but uh, you know, t- well, tell me about the, the okay, corn-fed Iowan boy. Let, let me start early, I guess. No, so I grew up in, in Iowa. Altoona, Iowa is a Al- small, Altoona. Yeah, A L T O N A. It's a small town outside Des Moines, Iowa. They have an amusement park. There. Is that like, what you say if you're from Iowa? It's, it's close to Des Moines. It's close to Des Moines. That's the big metropolis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh yeah, Des Moines. Des Moines. Yeah, yeah I know that like, one. I don't even know Iowa. Is. <laughs> yeah. In fact, when I moved, when we moved to Arizona, I had geography class in eighth grade. And I was the only kid who got all the 50 states right because everyone didn't know where Iowa was. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reality. I live there, so yeah, I, I, I kind of know. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, Des it's not Mones? Idaho. Yeah, Des yeah. Mones. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's. Um, uh, so a small kid, you grow. I have an older brother, uh, mom and dad. I have a younger brother, so I'm the middle child of three boys, and uh, we, all the way through, um, I guess being a kid from what I remember. To fourth grade, we moved to I told you Southside yeah, Chicago. Yeah. So uh, drop this uh, skinny, awkward kid in the Southside Chicago school system. Sure. Um, Mid year, mind you, my dad got transferred. He he ran gas stations like he was a regional manager, and that job's notorious for moving people around at that time. And so first day, I kind of shared this with you. The first day was, um, it was just way different. I mean, I'm I'm exposed to a lot of diversity I never had. And it was absolutely wonderful. I'm sitting in class, and we go to lunch. I told you this part, but we go to lunch, and everyone's eating their food so fast that I thought, I mean, I, I really thought that there was an emergency happening. I had no idea what was going on. And so I grabbed my cookie. I ate my cookie first. I'm like, if we're getting out of here. I'm eating this cookie. Yeah, of course. Right? And then all of a sudden, the tables start moving, and they pull cardboard out. And in the just to have enough time during lunch... People start breakdancing. This is 1984. That's so cool. I'm not young, right? But it's I'm yeah. not old. Yeah, it's cool. So 1984 was like Michael Jackson on the Pepsi commercials. Yeah. A lot of, um, just a lot of tight parachute pants. <laughs> we didn't have money for that kind of stuff. Sure. It was a different But time. everyone had it. They had, Michael Jackson had like a thriller coat. I don't know if you remember those red coats. Oh, yeah, man. So I learned to moonwalk. I can moonwalk. I moonwalk in the kitchen sometimes when I'm cooking. Sure. Or uh, just to remind I can, I can do a little cool. break dancing. Yeah. 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 And it and it really reinforces how cool I am when I do it. In fact, they ask, "Can you do it again?" You sure? Right. And that so, was great, Dad. Would you mind doing yeah, it again do it for us? Teach me. Yeah. Yes. And so, so that was you know fourth grade. In fact, my first day of school, I didn't tell you this part. We go to gym class after lunch is gym, and we're doing tumbling apparently in gym, and in the '80s. Even, it didn't matter where, 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 if you were uh, black, white, Mexican, it didn't matter. Hispanic, it didn't matter. You had jerry curl in your hair. Oh, is you that had, right? You had grease in your hair. And I don't know why everyone had it. So in the mats, well, coming from Iowa, we didn't have it. Iowa is the last place that gets the trend. <laughs> it starts in New York and California, and it, by the time Slowly. it gets to Iowa, there's a new trend. Yeah. Right? It's just terrible. Like, you're getting all this discounted clothing. Sure. Because they've started a new trend right. on, the, on the outskirts. Right. And so I do my tumbling between the mats, because I didn't want to roll in all this grease that was everywhere. So I go to I actually had spent my first day, the end of my day, in the principal's office with the gym teacher yelling at me because I wouldn't tumble on the mats. Mm-hmm. But what that was, was I just adapted. Yeah. I'm just a kid. I mean, I was scared. Uh, I was nervous because there was just people I didn't know. But by the end of the day, I knew people. Yeah. And, it's, and, and you know, we go back to Iowa in fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, and we moved to, actually moved to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. And I'm talking about my, my grade years. And the first day of eighth grade, my mom works in the lunchroom, and I'm eating lunch by myself. 
in the middle school. Can you imagine being the mom? It almost brings tears to your eyes. Yeah, dude, that, imagine watching one of your kids right now yeah. in a new school. And it was like going from a, a Tri-West type school out, out there to a Ben Davis. Yeah. It was just boom. Apples and oranges. Here you go. Figure it out. Yeah. And um, I mean, I remember sitting in class the first day and people were like, are you a skater? Skater was big then. Like being a skater, skateboards were cool then. That was mm-hmm. like late 80s and stuff. Uh, or football or basketball, all the traditional stuff. And they're trying to figure out what I am. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I am. I'm from Iowa, right? <laughs> Whatever, you yeah. know. And you guys got uh, a four H program? Yeah, yeah, you got something. You got corn? Yeah. Where's the corn? Yeah. Uh, I can detassel corn like nobody's business. You wouldn't believe. But it it was what it did is it created uh, an opportunity for me to build some inner confidence just as a person and then just start talking. Yeah. And talking, just like in real estate, it's not talking about yourself to people. Conversations happen by asking questions. Mm-hmm. That's why this. That's why you enjoy this podcast, and uh, it's just easier to have a great conversation when you're truly interested. Mm-hmm. Not you're not interesting. You're interested, right? And so that those examples of of kind of being shuffled around. There's people that move every year. I mean, there's there are some real hard things that kids grow up with, or are they? Maybe they're not. Yeah. And so, uh, I I love those experiences. Looking back in my life, I, we had a great home to grow up in in Iowa. It was we had a bike trail behind us. We had a pond up behind us. We could fish in. It was you get on your bike, you ride your bike all day. Yeah, I mean you're gone, and 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 you had to kind of behave because if you got home, and you got mom got the spoon out on you or whatever you know, or you were in trouble. Yeah, it's because someone else's mom ratted you out across town. Sure, sure. And we just everyone's in bubbles now. They don't pay attention to. The only complaint, like you'll see on some Facebook chatter pages, all these kids are kicking the leaves in my front yard. We'll figure out who the heck they are and call their mom yeah. or their dad yeah. or just tell them, hey, guys, knock it off. Yeah. Just handle it. I mean, and then they won't do it again. Yeah. So it's, uh, so that's it. We go, my, um, my wife, uh, we're from the same high middle school, actually. Seventh grade in Iowa, I think she, we had, we had a gym class together first class of the day that's always nice the pool water is about 62 and you're wearing a speedo right <laughs> i mean i look like i look like an albino zipper my feet are so long and my body is so skinny i'm on like the i'm sure she fell for it right? oh, it's just in fact i bet her mind that? goes there multiple times throughout the day <laughs> and she had huge hair and braces you know yeah, it was sure. that day and that's kind of where my my infatuation for her started quite frankly and then we moved from Arizona, 8th, 9th, 10th grade, back to Iowa, same school. And, um, and then we, we went off to college. We didn't date until we got into college. And, and um, we went to the University of Northern Iowa. Both have teaching license. Moved here. My parents moved here when I went off to college. My mom moved here because my dad was here for racing. When you work for race teams, uh, you, you're the race jobs are. And so my dad, actually, when we left Phoenix, I played basketball with a... a Matt Curry is his name, a friend of mine, and Matt's dad was a, he's a big racing influence. He just passed away last year, and him and my dad became really good friends in the stands of our basketball games. So when we're exiting, moving back to Iowa from Arizona, uh, Matt's dad offered my dad a job in racing because he didn't want his best friend to leave. Well, that job was in Texas, and in Texas is, uh, was where he, John Andretti was his first driver. They actually won their very first race in Australia. Oh really? Yeah, and it was it was cool to watch on TV, right? But we went to Iowa. My dad went to Texas, and um, actually shared an apartment with some guys. One of the guys is now the new historian. 
Poppy's his name. He's a new historian at the Speedway who redoes all the old cars. It's his, he's the, at our Speedway? At our Speedway. I at thought the that museum. Was Donald, Donald Davidson. No, he's not the historian. and, and the, He's the, mechan- I guess, the mechanical historian. Oh, okay. Where they rebuild the cars. Oh, I got you. It used okay. to be two old German guys did it, and they yeah. took Polaroids up before they took the car apart. Now Poppy's doing that. So, I mean, it goes all the way back. That's like 1991. Mm-hmm. God, it seems like forever ago. But then we move, we move back to Iowa. My dad eventually ends up here in Indianapolis because this is where he got offered multiple racing jobs. And then when I go to college, my, my mom and my younger brother move to Indianapolis. And so eventually, we all end up in racing. We move here after we graduate, my wife and I, and um, she runs the IRL Kids. And uh, we started a nonprofit to, to run that organization. My older brother works. He moved here in the middle 90s. My dad won, they won the 597 with Lion Dyke, and my brother won the next year with Cheever. In fact, I almost had something to bring to you, but I can't find it. I'm going to get it to you. Okay. But in my, gra- in my barn now, is I, I worked at Goodyear Tires in the 90s through college. That was a great college job. Yeah. yeah. That was great. I mean, you're yeah. flying around the mountain. I mean, it was, it was a lot of work, but it was fun. That's awesome. It was great. Yeah. And so uh, I have the set of tires. I dismounted the tires when Eddie Cheever won the 500, his last set. So in my barn, I have the right rear tire that crossed the finish line. Wow. Well, I also have a couple bricks from the Speedway. Because when you work at Goodyear Tires, it used to be the building next to the golf course. And there's a creek that runs through the golf course. Yeah. And it's full of the bricks. Yeah. Yeah. They did a special on that one year. Did they really? Yeah. A guy got rolled up his sleeves with uh, Dale Jr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Picking bricks. Well, that's where I have like three or four good, um, solid bricks from. Yeah. When we moved out to our, all my racing stuff's in the barn now. It's not allowed in the house. Sure. So I, I stopped by there on my way this morning. I was in a hurry. And I, but I'll get you one because I think you want one. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's yeah cool. I eat all that stuff yeah. up, man. I love it. And, uh, and and so we have that. My brother won. They won when Dan Weldon won the 500. Of and then he passed away later that year. That was kind of our last family uh, involvement, really, in, in IndyCar racing, other than knowing and loving all, a lot of people in it. Um, and it was just, it's just different to be a spectator. Yeah. My son is, he's 21 now, I mentioned. He, I mean, he was with us everywhere. He was in tow. My wife was on airplanes with him with car seats and, and then we'd be at a race and he's been to 40 some states. And, and, uh, I mean, we used to go from race to race. We had, we had a motorhome at one time. We'd drive from race to race and we'd stop at a truck stop or whatever it was. Sounds glamorous doesn't waffle house something clean <laughs> of course. probably why i'm a germ freak now and alan should junior be walking through or, or or whoever hey colton how's it going today buddy and he had no idea i'm trying to explain to him at that time colton this is like if one of your friends dad worked at the colts complex and you got to go to practice and peyton manning was hey colton here's a football yeah catch this yeah that's what it's like for the outsiders but when you grow up around it you're just it becomes a little bit of a circus grind life yeah. There's an article at the Des Moines Register, the sports page, did an article on our family, mainly my dad, and we were all in it, because we were all in racing at that time. And I think my quote is, it sounds negative, is, it's a circus lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's somewhat hurtful to the people that do it. But it's a young man's game, and it's, it is a circus lifestyle. You do it because uh, the adrenaline rush of a pit stop, is, there's, it's, it's outstanding. It's awesome. And, and, you, and I have great memories doing pit stops with my dad, who, one in, in Atlanta... Uh, we had a Shigiaki Hattori was a Japanese driver that my dad had, and he was a part owner on this team. And Shigi could not, he was a good driver until it got too scary, meaning he just didn't have that extra step. Sure. 
whatever. I'm not judging him. And no, my God, you can't. But yeah. he was. We were in Atlanta racing the first time, and he was running like second and third. We were doing so good, and um, the car was set up great, great engineer, all that garbage stuff. And he comes in for a pit stop, and he slides by us, meaning we can't. The fuel hose does not reach the car. Well, I'm my dad does the fuel, and I do the part of the pit stop. Back in that day, it was on the side of the car too, where you put the vent in the, you put the vent in the gas tank and or the fuel tank, it pulls the air out so the fuel goes in faster, and then also the airline that jacks the car up. Well, my dad had been doing this for years and years and years, and he's, his hands look like a paw of a bear. And they're on the radio saying, Shiggy, let go of the brake. He wouldn't release the brake because he didn't understand English real well. And so finally, my dad just reaches out and he smacks him on the front of the helmet so hard that his head bounces off the back of the car and forward and like, like needed a Hans device type smack. Sure. And he released the brake and I was laughing so hard. So the guys are pushing the car back, but I'm laughing so hard I can't even do my job. Yeah. Because it was, in that moment, it was so serious. Like we could have won the race. Sure. And here I am, this jack wagon laughing. Mm -hmm. My dad grabs all three hoses and does all three of them at once. And I thought, that was awesome. Like I have that memory with him. How great is that? Yeah. Who, who gets to do that? Yeah. Right? But the reality is, it was a job. Yeah. At the end of that night, we were sweaty and tired. We loaded the truck up. The car was loaded, and it was filthy, and we were tired. And the people who looked at that and said, well, that was what a great time and a great job, they got to go home and maybe have a beer on the way home, right, and just go to bed. But they got to wake up to their normal life the next day. Right. So it does, It uh, you know, the history of me is, is really that, just a lot of diversity. Yeah. Um, looking back, like... I just remember in Arizona shooting free throws. I love basketball. I love that. We talked about the, the Pacers earlier and how great it was in the 90s. Yeah. Well, in Phoenix, we had Tom Chambers. I don't remember any of these names. We had Eddie Johnson, Kevin Johnson. A friend of mine had tickets, so I, I fell in love with basketball. And we used to, I used to sit in the driveway until I made 100 free throws in a row. That's the driver part of my personality, that almost obsessive. I mean, to make a hundred free throws in a row is a lot of work. To make ten free throws in yeah, a row is a right. lot of work. But okay. the neighbors used to call it like midnight to my parents. Can you tell Teddy to go inside? The ball bounce is keeping us awake. Right. Well, what a stupid skill that is right now. Like, what if I would have started playing the guitar? <laughs> How much cooler would I have been? We're not here to no, talk. But, but can, you imagine, cool. can you imagine what I could do now on really the guitar? Good. Yes. You been and really cool. so, but it, whatever. It's just a matter of discipline. And, and that that's kind of what... The diversity in my life of not being, I guess, stuck in one town, as some people would say, provided an opportunity for me to be flexible and open-minded. And, and, and uh, you know, everywhere we go now, my kids hate it, that I talk to everybody. Yeah. And, um, in fact, they, they have witnessed it so much that sometimes they won't go in places with me. Sure. And, um, and, and my son has the same capability. He went to Trine. He was going to play golf at Trine. And he went into the uh, golf pro shop just to check it out up at Trine University. And he came out with a job. And he came out and he went, damn it, Dad, I'm just like you. I was talking to some 70-year-old guy in there, and he offered me a job. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what that does. Yeah, yep. If you are interested in people and you just allow them to talk, yep. sure, sometimes you get stuck in a conversation. But well, what a great thing for them. That might have been his, the best conversation I got had in a month. Yeah. And he was able to impact him with that, that moment. So, let me, so let, me, let me step in here. So shut up, Ted. I want to talk. No, I, I just um, you know part of the the kind of ongoing theme with this this program is who who is a realtor. You know yeah. what what makes a successful realtor. Um, you know realtors come in all shapes and sizes. What is it about these individuals 
that give them the tools to succeed. You've been in it 20 years. You don't yeah. need to tell me. I know you're successful. It shows. Um, well, longevity isn't always success, but um, because some people... Ted, you're going skiing because of your success. <laughs> well, no, it, I think that's successful. It's also um, being disciplined. It, right. it, it is a discipline. So yeah. To yeah. cut off your question with my answer, which yeah. I'll do. Continue. Well, I was, what I was going to say, though, is picking up young Ted and dropping him in Southside Chicago and you being able to flourish and make friends and be able to... Same play ball and Same enjoy it Same and adapt, yeah, right? Yeah. Phoenix, adapt. Uh, you say that you like talking to people and talking to strangers. And I always like to think that a realtor, you can't, you can't be this type of person, go take a, a class in real estate yes. and then become a successful realtor. Correct. It's almost like you're practicing to become a realtor before you become one. Yeah. And, and so, so what, what about yeah. your childhood do you think picked up skills that you carried Right. right into our well, industry. Well, it it's a lot of it. My, my role in real estate right now is, uh, and it has been, if I stayed in teaching, I'd be a superintendent somewhere. That's just, I just keep going and going. And, I, and it, sometimes it's to a detriment. Like, like I said, when is enough enough? Sure, yeah. Right? And so uh, you, you, some people are natural salespeople, and all that means is they're willing to talk or do more uncomfortable things than other people. My grandfather, I just mentioned, he just turned 100 last year. Lives at home by himself in Des Moines, Iowa. That's incredible. Think about this. That's incredible. He's the most wonderful man in my life. I mean, I love him to death. He gets up and walks his stairs every day. Sure. Just to keep himself going. Yeah. And he's getting old and weak and humbled down. But he, uh, he was sick a couple years ago when we were in Iowa, maybe four or five years ago. And I was worried about him. And I didn't get to see him because he didn't want us coming over. Well, I don't get there very often. So I said, to hell with that. I just told total disregard for his feelings. That's a type A personality that a good salesperson has. Sure. I went and got a bunch of soup from whatever you know, uh, restaurant it was. And I said, I'm bringing soup over. I can text him right now. I kind of brag about that, but I could text him. So I texted him and said, Grandpa, I'm bringing some soup over before we leave town. And so uh, he has this house, two level, like a basement and a, and a regular house. And I'm knocking on a door. And then I go knock on another door. So I'm forcing this guy who's sick. He has the flu. He's like 96, yeah, right? Yeah. To move around his house. <laughs> yeah. So I end up kind of, as soon as he cracks the door, I'm in his house. Like I'm not going to accept. Time. It's, I'm not going to accept that you're not taking the soup from me. You don't <laughs> yeah. want me to get sick. Yeah. Right? That's his worry. Yeah. And so uh, when I, so fast forward, I, I give him all the soup and his refrigerator. Love you, Grandpa. You know, kind of a distant hug. Uh, we'll see kids waving from the car and we go. We go back, you know. Seven hours later, we're home. So my mom says, I talked to Grandpa, your Grandpa, and uh, he thought it was so cool you brought that stuff over, but he couldn't believe that you just came in. And my uncle's answer was, of course he did. He's a salesman. Like a, a more of an, uh, an analytical, engineering type person would have really listened to those words right. and probably been more respectful of his wishes, right? Yeah. But they would have handed him the stuff from outside. Yeah. Or had it, you know... It, to me, it's about feelings. It's about, uh, I'm going to help you. And sometimes you, you, uh, sometimes we do, we get uncomfortable or we make other people uncomfortable on the way to helping them. Because right. ultimately, he loved it. Right? Ultimately, he loved it. He didn't want to put me out. And so a good sales, like someone that thrive in this business, they, they don't, any personality can thrive. There's enough clients out there with your same personality that you could haphazardly run into them and mesh. You have to be able to um, strip your ego away and, and how you feel and 
look for how can I help this person? And sometimes that means I'm adapting. Like I'm drinking this huge thing of caffeine in front of you. If I was going tonight to meet with a client who is an engineer, I would not have that caffeine because I'm going to drive that person nuts with sure. how, my, just the pace of my talk. Yeah. And so those are all learned skills. Those aren't, that's not something natural. Natural would be I'm going to go meet someone who's amiable or excited tonight and they're okay with me being hyper. Yeah. So it, there are skills that can be learned. To be a successful real estate agent, you just have to be willing to work and be disciplined without someone telling you what you should be doing. Yeah. And, and that and I think that's a big one, Ted. I think that's a big one. Yeah, and it's and and it's not easy. It's hard you, you just can't avoid the heartache. Yeah. And so being dropped into a Ben Davis sized school when I've never experienced that as an eighth grader was not comfortable, right? But I got broken in. Right? I got broken into that. Yeah. And um and if you're just if your goal is if you really work your mind around it, if your goal, ultimate goal is to provide such a great experience with another person's real estate experience, and, and, and everything you do is geared towards that experience being so good that they're going to refer their mom to you, right. then you can be successful no matter your personality. But you've got you to gotta strip away all the layers that subconsciously sit in you. right? And some of those subconscious layers are, I hate when telemarketers call me, so I'm never going to call someone I don't know. Right? Well, what if someone you don't know needs your help? We have an agent in Brownsburg, and she's out door knocking in the storm like two years ago, in the winter storm. And she, the little lady answers the door, and she says, I can't, I'm so great, grateful you're here. We need to sell our house. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So now the door before that might have been, here, I'm going to taser you. Right? Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so the tenacity part of an agent, you've got to be willing to work through the taser. To get to the person that that needs you, yeah, and 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 they're just people don't have it in them. They don't have it in them. No, not everybody can do it, but everyone can do a little bit of it, and that does become frustrating in the business for the people who are uh, really working because somebody gets in the business and they're going to work with their cousin. Yeah. Well, that takes a negative, pessimistic person. Well, that took a transaction away from us. Right. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But the reality is maybe that person was going to sell your listing on the person you were helping. Yeah. So go find somebody you know. I want to go back to when uh, I think your uncle or somebody called you a salesperson. Well, of course he did. He's a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Were you offended by that? Uh, you know, quite was frankly, that, at, at, first, at first, I always self-evaluate too much. And so you don't see that side of me. But um, I think, God, did I, I, I worry about hurting other people's feelings. Sure. Maybe too much, I guess. At first, I was like, wow, that's kind of bold. But this is coming from a guy who worked at NASA, right? I mean, think how exact and precise his life was yeah. for some dude to just ram into your house with cans of soup or something, sure. right? Sure. And so, uh, no, I yes, at first, but then I realized that's what he liked it. My grandfather loved it, um, that I was able to, I was willing to do that for mm -hmm. him. And here's a guy who spent Christmas in a hole during the Battle of the Bulge. Right. Oh, yeah, you know what sure. I mean? That's, yeah, if, sure. If anyone's going to get some soup, I'm going to break a window yeah, right. to get the dude some soup. Yeah. Right? So. And you went and, and you did what you did, and your intentions were pure. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't like you were selfishly trying to get something out of right. it. You just wanted to yeah. connect with him in that moment. So you knew that your intentions were, and, and, I, and I'm going to tie this into our industry. 
Well, that's you know, where the heartache When you're comes calling in. people and, mm-hmm. and doing these things that you said, you know, are uncomfortable, but you know that your intentions are pure. You, you, yeah. you genuinely want to help this person, right? Well, and that's where the heartache comes in, where people, um, uh, people don't use you, right? Or they don't understand. You don't do a good enough job selling your opportunity to provide them a great experience, yeah. and they choose somebody else. It's, it's really hurtful when you don't look at them as a number, yeah. It'd be real easy to be a robotic realtor and look at numbers. I mean, that because you're just doing numbers. Yeah, sure. Um, but um, the people who stay, you know, people people are in this business 30 and 40 years. And it's it, it's just the comfort level of doing what's right for everyone and knowing that that's going to pay off. Yeah. So I'm going to go go to more logistics of the career here. Right. Uh, and just, just historically... Past guests, we you know we've talked about the the two thousand eight right mm-hmm. two thousand eight two thousand eight. You have officially trumped everybody by your starting point date of being nine eleven. For real? I mean, come on! I mean, that was like is that a lot really though? No, not not uh, oh, not in time. Just yeah. as far as in insane. Okay. Just a crazy okay. time to be doing something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just crazy but to make it through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. two thousand eight. We talk about our industry changing. I mean, 9-11, yeah. the whole world. And be, and be the main breadwinner. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. That took some, uh, yeah, probably sleep away. So after you started, um, give me a time where it uh, reinforced in, in, in Ted's head that you're, you're doing the right thing and that this is a good career for you. When did you finally realize, you know what, I made a good decision. This is, yeah. this is a so good lifestyle for me. I can remember early, early. Someday on. I'm going to go skiing because of yeah, this career, right. you know? I remember early on... Um, making more in one month, this is income numbers, not people talk, than I would have made all year with my teaching contract. Right. And so you take, you're able to take, if you're smart, you don't go buy a new car, right? You take some of that and you start investing. You start putting this here and putting that there and putting this here. And those are hard decisions to make in those moments. Oh yeah, you want to be impulsive. Oh yeah, Yeah. and it feels good. And so, but those moments early on allowed us, uh, allowed me, and by us, I mean the whole family. Everyone's in on the ride of your job or your career. Allowed us the opportunity to live on 20-plus acres, and my girls have a horse, show horse and all that horse. And, yeah, that's a lot of work, and it's really not that expensive when you look at it. But but other things are expensive. Insurance, right? <laughs> right. That kind of stuff you're just trying to live life through. Yeah, the early, not very the, glamorous. No, but, right? Yeah, but yeah. that's what makes it hard for a real estate agent, and having that withstanding... I, I just remember knowing I can make this happen. If I can replicate this month, uh, even a portion of this month, by doing what I did before to get to this month, right? What was I doing eight weeks ago that allowed this month to happen? And did, did I, did I, could I replicate what I was doing that eight weeks ago this month, today, to make that next month that way? The real joy in this business is when you get to a point where you can start teaching that to people. Sure. And you start hiring people into the business. You take someone who's who was a school teacher, and, and you know their path, or they get out of racing and they get a real estate license, and then they they have that month, or they pull in the parking lot with a new car, and you're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, good. Oh my God, is that your car? Yeah, I paid cash for that. Ah, sure. That, those are life changing moments. Yeah. That's not why you do the business. That's the outcome of doing the most uncomfortable things, mm-hmm. or working. And I say that, and maybe I'm too used to it not being nine to five. Like I just remember last year on Memorial Day, just going and showing houses, and we had, we have what we call uh, the Clampet weekend at our house. 
we're all we just kind of white trash it up. People bring campers out, and we have a big bonfire, and it gets a little out of hand. And um, I just remember leaving that next day to go show houses. Well, I'm showing houses to a racing friend who's moving in from Arizona, and I and I love them, and I want to be with them, right? Well, that was a sacrifice I was willing to make. And most people, in order to be a good salesperson, you got to kind of take a few of those days early on, especially, yeah, and make those sacrifices. You just make up for it later. When I did a lot of open houses as a new agent, I just wouldn't work on Friday. Yeah. If my son had a kinder music program as a four-year-old and they're singing Itsy Bitsy Spider, I was the only guy in the room with all the stay-at-home moms. Well, I just put it in my calendar. That was the payoff for working Saturday morning while he was sleeping. But it also makes you make good decisions. You're at a listing on a Tuesday night and these people are being just completely irresponsible with their list price. Well, I'm working for free right now because I'm a commission person. Right. So how about I leave this living room and I go back to my living room? Yeah. It makes you make real good business decisions on who you're going to work with, and it makes you really skilled on getting people, pulling clients along the way so that they make the right decisions for themselves that you can help them with, meaning a list price, for instance. So I go to a house knowing that I'm going to list their house. I don't show up if I'm not, I only have a chance to. Let me ask you something, Ted. Have you always been this analytical with time management? Of no, the, the, and I'm the not value, good at the, the value of time and, and what am I gaining here and what am I losing here? Because I do think yeah. that... For it is it is an it's an interesting way of looking at life. And, well, and have you always been this way? No, um, I'm more so. I've exposed more so of that. My dad passed away at 68, and I remember when he was sick. We were in Chicago at a hospital, and uh, he was looking. We had this great hotel, this hospital room, which is that sounds like an oxymoron, but it overlooked the city skyline in Chicago. We were there because the specialist for his type of cancer was there. And, and we found that person. I just remember him looking out and lit, saying these words. I just remember him looking out and, and me saying, hey, what's going through your mind? And he said, it's just crazy how things fly. And he's, these are his words to me, right? This is, this, your, your, your dad, if my dad anyway, was... Your larger-than-life dad. Oh, yeah, he's Superman. He still had a cape. I, I mean, most kids grow, I think I said it in his eulogy, most kids realize when their dad isn't Superman. I had never realized that. Sure. Right. So he says, he's crazy how time flies, whatever. And I said, what do you mean? He said, 50 years ago, we were drag racing in the streets of Iowa. And it seems like yesterday. Yeah. And from then, and that's only five years ago, right? But even before that, I just was, with him traveling through racing, he missed things that I was doing. He didn't want to miss those things. That's just how life played out. And our traveling preschool and daycare was purposefully driven to that success level because we wanted those kids to be able to see their dads, right? That was the real underlying part of that. And so uh, just being able to spend time and be impactful with my kids, it actually gets in the way of what could be greater success. But to me, it is success. And right. so I, I just like fishing with my kids. I mean, it's, it's one of the greatest things ever to not catch a fish. And your kids realize it's not about catching fish; it's about just being here. Yep. And that's why I mean, uh, it's we have horses. I'm I'm grooming horses that bite and step on me sometimes because that's what they want to do, and that's my ability to spend more time with them. Yeah. I coach basketball for them because I get to control that schedule with them, and 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 all of that comes from probably um, not being fatherless, 
but not having that daily routine that most kids get tired of their dad telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. I yearn for that. Sure. And and so now my kids don't know any different. In fact, it's overboard. Going skiing, we, we didn't even start skiing until this year. I've never been on a set of skis. Well, that my girls want to snowboard. So we just figure it out. I'm falling down a mountain because I want to try to catch up to be with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how stupid is it? I have bruised ribs right now because of uh, we go to the extreme of going to Colorado to try skiing, to do more skiing. Dad, well, you didn't ski a lot in the hills of Iowa? It, it, well, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine skiing out west of Indianapolis in that flat land. Yeah. Uh, but it really, it is about being the time. So I look at my father passed away at 68. I'm 46. I mean, if I'm on that same path, that's a not much time. Yep. And so if we can just keep impacting, teach people, my kids, how to impact other people. There's nothing better than when, when you have that attitude and you're married to someone who has that attitude. And I just remember uh, quite a few years ago, my wife, uh, during rougher times for other people, uh, buying we bought for, we buy Christmas for other families as much as we can. And one year we bought a big gift card for a janitor in one of the schools. And the guy was in tears. Well, of course we should do that. What would I do with that two or three or four hundred dollars that he should do more with? And that all comes from my. I just my dad. This is, I keep talking about my dad, but uh, he's so impactful to me. He at his funeral, a lady showed up at the viewing, and the viewing line was forever, right? It's and it was great, but it, if if you haven't gone through that, maybe you have, it's exhausting because you want to see everybody and touch everybody, and they want to feel like they're giving to you. But in that line was a lady I'd never seen her before, and so you can see people, as people are coming in a in a funeral line. To the, and it did her in a visitation, basically. And I'm thinking, God, in your mind, I'm like, I don't want to offend that person. i got to figure out who the hell that is before they get up here. And there's great people before that. You know, there's people in racing and, and whatever. And she gets up and she goes, you don't know me. And I said, phew. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. And it took all the pressure off of that. She said, I uh, just want to let you know, your dad was an angel to me. He was driving through at a race somewhere, stopped at the truck stop to get fuel and have something to eat. And he overheard me talking to someone in the back about not having Christmas for my kids. So my dad gets home and calls the manager of the truck stop, gets her name, and he buys bikes, tents. He buys, provides Christmas for this family. And they don't even know who he is. And, and how great of an impact that is in only 68 years. So if, if I only have 22, I mean... Boy, it'd be nice to live to 100 to be my grandfather. I can't imagine the ear hair I'm going to have oh, when I get to 100. Yeah. It's going to look like muffs, ear muffs. Oh, yeah. It's going to yeah. be unbelievable. You won't be able to hear anything. That might be great. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if I, if I only have 22 or let's... You don't know. You don't. And so this just quit being so judgmental and give people benefit of the doubt. And if I'm in an, a position because I was willing to do enough of the hard things... And just because someone else didn't do those things doesn't mean that I can't do something. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we all want, would want to die a millionaire. And, and many people, many of us are on pace for that. But you but know what happens? It's, it's, it's interesting what you just said. Die a right. millionaire. Right. Who cares? You're dead. I know. You know, who cares what's in your bank account at that point? I know. And so the, the great equalizer, right? Right. And then yeah. the, the idea of just taking. A lady who's a waitress at a truck stop right. in Columbus, Ohio, and spending a few hundred dollars because you could, you had the capability of grinding a little more to impact that person. Now, what is she going to do? Yeah. What are her kids going to do? 
That's the power of, uh, and that's, what, that's why politics are so frustrating to me, to watch these people just spout off when they actually have the power to make impact and they can't get past themselves. I know. And so uh, the, the business, the real estate business, we do a good job of that in central Indiana. I mean, the, my, the foundation, all the money we give away in Hendricks County, uh, we, we, uh, we provided just out of the Brownsburg office, we took all the money this year and gave it to the Cypress Manor. We bought gifts. What you're talking? They want Kleenexes. They want blankets. What am I going to buy? Another thing from China for my kids to not play with? Sure. And so it's more impactful that they go shopping for somebody who needs a coat, like clothe a child on the west side. Yeah. My, I take my kids shopping uh, than it is I buy them a coat. Yeah. And so uh, I think that's really that whole attitude right there is why I've been able to withstand uh, this business. Yeah. Well, so traditionally, my next question would be who or what inspires you? But I don't need to ask that. Probably not. I think, no, it, the big picture is family. Yeah. I love watching my kids. And I think what inspires you is actions. Yeah. You can read quotes and stuff all day. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that, that story alone about your dad. And the, I mean, that's... Yeah, and that's just that, one. That is something that, that's that's, one, that right? you carry with a lifetime. Yeah. Do you know the love languages? You've heard of that book? Like, like you, 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 you uh, appreciate love in a certain way. Right. And like, and, like, I might appreciate love from my wife because she made dinner. And she might like, might appreciate love from me because I say, well, you look beautiful today. Sure. Right? Just starting to be in tune to that mm -hmm. and then act on those things is where we could change the world tomorrow. Yeah. If we would just let go of our egos and, and, and look at what someone else's needs are and just don't have to meet them. Yeah. Just hint towards them. Yeah. And then they'll meet them themselves. Like Dan Marino needed you he to reinforce. He needed to me at the urinal. <laughs> he needed that. He needed, he needed that closed environment. To the bathroom. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what he needed. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if anyone inspires me other than uh, I, I'm a person of faith. Now we don't go crazy with it. I grew up Catholic, so sure. I carry this guilt that Catholicism brings you as an altar boy. Yeah. Of just uh, heavy. always do the right thing. Right? Oh yeah. And um, don't do that because that's wrong. Yeah. But the reality is, it is. There, I believe there is a better place for us. Yeah. And, and um, if you believe that, then things aren't as scary. And you want to do things to make sure that that better place is a place you can fit in. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. It, easier said than done. So you're talking about love languages. Tell me about a, a love language when dealing with, with clients. How do, you, how do you find out what their love language is without yeah, coming hard. off as a weirdo? Yeah, it's hard. You know? Uh, I do come off as a winner. <laughs> you that, just that's do my it. Specialty. And it's charming. Yeah, in fact, know? that might be my new tagline. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, clients are funny. And so if you, and, it, and the whole mentality of clients will come and go, but we have to work together forever. If you live with that, then, then you're going to get your client's needs fixed regardless of how the other agent treats you or how you treat the other agent. Because the end goal is figuring out what they want. And so uh, in today's market, if you can just understand the market and be educated and, and develop yourself into right now learning how to write a great offer. And, and the problem with finding out, like, do you, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, want this house? Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Right. It doesn't mean you're going to pay 50000 more because it may not appraise. We have to figure out other things. So let me, what do you want? Right. Do you want this house? Yeah. This is what needs to happen to get there. Right. And you might be uncomfortable. Or you might say no, but if the end goal is to get there and you can do these things, we'll do the best we can. 
and I'm your navigator. And so that's just that's playing out right now with one of my uh, buyers who we, we end up being a backup offer. Well, the first offers chickens out because they pay too much, right? Sure. So now we just slide in. Well, finding out their needs were their needs were I'm only going to pay this amount. Yeah. And I'm only going to do this type of financing, and uh, you know we, you just work on their mindset of. Uh, are you still comfortable at this? Okay, then we're, we did the best we could. Just You can sleep tonight knowing you did the best you could. If someone's willing to do more, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And then the best we could after that was, let's be really good with the other agent. Become friends with the other agent so that they turn to you. And then they'll open up to a backup offer. Yeah. And then pretty soon when things get out of the first offer, that agent wants to work with you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that we're sabotaging the first offer. It's just a natural progression that, wait a minute, this is the right choice. We have a big campaign going on about the right buyer. And the right buyer is really is, starts with the agent, the education on can they get to closing. And so finding out the love language of a buyer or a seller is, is starts with tell me your story. Why are you selling? Yeah. Tell me your story. Like really, why are you really, buying? Really, yeah. why are you selling? I'm really? pregnant with triplets. Sure. My husband and I are going through a divorce. We have to move to Flint, Michigan by May 30th. If you can find that out, then you can do all the stuff in the business that falls into line to meet their needs because that's your job. But until you ask the question and don't impose upon them, well, I'm the best because I sold $5 billion last year. Right, right, right. That right. crap line. Yippee. Yeah, yeah. no one cares. Uh, what are their needs? And, uh, and so their love language or their needs will come out and if you can meet them, you want to meet them at the highest possible uh, rate so that the experience is so great that they, they are now what, what some call raving fans. That's what creates longevity in the business because now you have raving fans who you don't have to compete with another agent for because they're shamed their friends into using you. Sure. And then you meet their needs. Yep. And that's just how, that's just, I mean, there are agents that we don't even see because they work out of their garage that do a good job like that. Yeah. So... So, at this point, 20 years in, uh, you know, you, you, you've, you've, you've hinted at it in so many different ways, but now, right now, Friday in March, whatever the date is, how do you define success? Um, you. Okay, so to me, success, well, it's an easy answer, really. Success is having an impact on enough people that they're impactful on more people. That's right, and I... Does that make sense? Yeah, no, after, after talking heavy? to you, I was expecting you to say something like that. Well, you, you I really showed it was. to me on a cue card. That works. This podcast is <laughs> yeah, fake. Yeah, this is all this scripted. Is yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. No. No, but I, I mean, I, I think just... that's true, right? So take it to, um, take it to a teacher. I'm going to teach you arithmetic or whatever, math, and you're going to get so good at it that you're going to have a job where you're going to help other people with it. Right. Or I'm a co basketball coach. I'm going to teach you to do this so well that when you're in a huddle, you can tell your teammate this. Or you'll carry this experience with you to your job. That I mean, that goes. People should have pride in what they're doing. The guy I mentioned, someone cleaning a rest area bathroom. That's impactful. Yeah, absolutely. It's just you don't notice the impact unless it's negative because mm -hmm. our society is geared that way. So if you just went around looking at just the positives, like go to the rest area. This is a horrible analogy, and 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 don't look at how dirty it is admire the fact that it's clean. You're absolutely right. Right? Yes, yes, And then you are. walk out and, and just say it to yourself. Wow, that was a clean restroom. And I appreciate whoever... I, that And that dude's doing it. Yeah, I and really she's doing appreciate it. She's doing that. whatever. Yeah. And I'm just, 
I just, uh, I think after last year, uh, politics and anxiety and all this stuff, I just really focus on more of that. And it can be overwhelming for people around you. It doesn't mean I'm positive all the time. I work on that. I mean, it's a, it's a daily choice. Yeah. And so, I mean, I used to play basketball every, before COVID, we played basketball every Tuesday night with a bunch of old guys. So I felt great when I did that. You know what I mean? Uh, it felt real good. And that forced me to eat better. So I started this affirmation I shared with you. When I eat well and exercise, uh, I always I feel great when I eat well and exercise. My day is always better when I practice forgiveness. And what that means is uh, I forgive you because you cut me off in the parking lot. I'm not going to carry that with me to my next appointment and make those people feel my anxiety or my grungy attitude because some dude might have been in a hurry because he just cut his finger off. Right. It's on his way to the emergency room. Right. And it's just a matter of focus. Yeah. And you can only control so much. It's kind of like riding on an airplane. On our way back from our ski trip, uh, we had it was that Monday where the snowstorm was coming. It was horrible. Oh, yeah. President's Day weekend. Oh, yeah. The, and my, one of my girls uh, sitting watching out the window, and the plane's just it's dropping like 50 feet, 100 <laughs> feet, 1,000 feet at a time. And it's enough to make you want to wish you were wearing an astronaut diaper. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just can I avoid myself now to end this process. Yes. And I just told her, more so for my own sake. Yeah. I'm saying it out loud to her, but yeah. I'm really, because I'm the dad, i got to look like I'm the, the dad. I said, it's, listen, we don't fly the plane. You can't control this plane. The person who's most qualified is flying the plane. So we're just going to ride along and see what happens. Wow. Right? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, ah. uh, yeah, right. you know, it's a little scary. Sure. Being, being in that role of having to lead people when you don't really know the outcome, you just, you have faith in the outcome. Yeah. Not hope, but faith in the outcome. That's hard. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it can be, and that happens for realtors with their clients. It's why they get panicked and mean to other agents uh, or mean or angry with appraisers or lenders or title people. It's because they, they don't want it to be a reflection on what they can't control. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so be it. Yeah. Just let, just set the expectations and let the people know this is, everyone's doing the best thing. No one's tr- working against us here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, I think that does create a good real estate person. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people, we have a great real estate leaders in this city. And, um, man, they, Regina, Regina Jones taking the lead in this. Think how great she is. She's a rock star. And, and she's willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And so how wonderful is this that, mm-hmm. that we have these people willing to do that? Yeah. Um, we just have to be around them more. Yeah. And the, the frustrating part of our business right now is it's real easy to become a broker. It's harder to become a real estate agent than it is a broker. Yeah. So we have a lot, 1,700 brokers who may not, in my eyes, be doing things the right way, which is that's just my opinion. Yeah. But it's because we're not grouped. We're not together. We're not learning from each other. We're a, a bunch of islands sometimes. And I would rather see us as a bunch of boats. Yeah. And then let's push all our boats together and make one giant ship. Yep. Right? Yeah. And we'll navigate the water a lot better Yeah. if we can just get that understanding down. But it's just uh, it's just not the way the industry's built, you know, competitiveness and yeah. all that stuff. But if you just can take the mindset of, a, of there's plenty for everybody. Yeah. I give more than I take. Uh, we'll work together. I, I think you could have a 40 or 50 year career and, and have zero ulcers. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. So let's go back to Iowa. Um, those those summer nights in Iowa, 
Um, you know, I'm sure all the listeners are curious. Did you ever encounter any ghost baseball players? So uh, if you if you <laughs> do, so build, it, if you do build it, yeah, they will. <laughs> they will come. Uh, we I was known for nothing. In fact, the acronym is well, the, Idiot, idiots out walking around. That's I have to Iowa. I have to say the band Slipknot is from Iowa. The band Slipknot is from Iowa. I'm a big, big fan of Slipknot. There's so actually that's, a that's few. Uh, there's a few things. John Wayne is from Iowa. Is he really? I didn't know that. Uh, there's there's a few things. The Iowa Hawkeyes, my beloved Hawkeyes, play tonight in the tournament. They're obviously in Iowa. Uh, Luke Garza? Yeah, Luke mm-hmm. Garza, the Garzilla. He's a real and, deal. Yeah. But the wonderful part of Iowa is you're not, you're not chasing any of that craziness. Mm-hmm. You're literally just a wholesome Midwestern person. Yeah. And you're okay with that. And yep. so it... it uh, I don't miss. I don't miss there. I don't think there's as many opportunities there as there is even here, in in Indianapolis. And, and opportunities meaning, Colts games, Pacers games, a great concert will come through. Oh yeah. Um, just our whatever downtown the canal. There's some great things that we drive by every day mm-hmm. that we don't appreciate. And there's probably a lot of that in Iowa. I wasn't of the age to slow down and look at it. Yeah. But. Um, it's just, it's, I do miss it. I miss the people. It's just like racing, not being a racer anymore. I don't, I miss the cars and the smell. I miss that smell of hot, burnt rubber like that. I love oh, it. yeah. But I really miss the people. Yeah. And so that's what, you know, that's, if you're that way, real estate fulfills that for you because you have to talk to people. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and we have a big enough organization where um, we can, I can interact with enough people and help them grow, and I get fulfilled that way. Right. We're being, as I mentioned, like a small. If I was a smaller broker, working maybe for myself out of my house, I don't think, I don't think I would be as good. Yeah, frankly, because of my personality, mm-hmm. I need, I need to give, and I need people. I need that that teamwork. We have great teamwork in Brownsville. It's unbelievable. I had a new hire come to me one time, and he closed my door in the office, and I, and that happens. I'm like, ah, crap. You know, we got something. We have to call the attorney now. Right? <laughs> sure, sure. And so, but he said, I just want you to know, Ted. Uh, I've never worked somewhere where everyone else wants me to be more successful than I feel like I want to be. Like, okay, that, that's Susan Blanford I mentioned her earlier. That's her impact on our office that I can carry. And so I love going to work, right? Yeah. If I made $500,000 this year or I made 5000 I still love going uh, where, where, my, where I'm going to live my day. Yep. I love that. And, and if you don't do that, it doesn't matter if you're in real estate or not, you, I mean... You're not getting out alive. Yeah. And, and you can get out with all the money you want, but you're still out. Yeah. So you better figure it out. Your path is your path. Yeah. And the victimized person who doesn't take control of their path is the worst thing, I, I think, in the world. So that was a negative ending. Let's come up with something better. The field of dreams you asked me about. Is this heaven? Is it? Uh, this is my bore. <laughs> no, this, no. I was going to say this is, is now, Iowa. Uh, uh, was it Boy Scouts who were across the road, or was it Girl Scouts? It was Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts, yeah. yeah. it was. I don't know. Well, where if it was Girl Scouts, that would have been heaven because there would have been cookies in there. <laughs> yeah. Those thin mints at 2 in the morning for me, and I'm letting the dog <laughs> well, out. All sleeve. I'm telling you. <laughs> I eat a sleeve of them. 2 in the morning with a glass of milk. I am a sugar crackhead. Oh, sure. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Well, Mr. Thomas Bidding Jr. That's me. Thanks for being on here today. Thanks. It's been fun. Appreciate it. <laughs>